I would love to tell you that I was very aware that March was Women's History Month, but if we're being honest, I don't think many people were. You probably didn't even realize it until I brought it up just now. Um, And that says a lot about how we think and feel about women. Um, But, you know, I will tell you that I had this episode uh, on the calendar and planned out uh, long before uh, I realized it was Women's History Month, so that was just a happy little coincidence that uh, to end Women's History Month, we are going to look at a few stories of some great women in history. It's Our Weird World. Our Weird World. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and today we are looking at a few stories uh, from great women in history as I continue to pander and try to make myself look good uh, by saying that this is in honor of Women's History Month. It's not. Uh, This is just how the calendar uh, fell out, and you'll see why uh, when I tell you about what next week's episode is. Uh, But today we're looking at a few stories here. We're looking at the story of the Trung Sisters, Princess Olga of Kiev, Betty Lou Oliver, and uh, really just a fun story about a group of nuns um, who just did not care. And uh, Salem is behind me. He has like a little bag toy that he has decided that he wants to play and rustle up during the middle of uh, recording. Oh, now he's over here now. He may jump up on my lap, which will startle me because I'm concentrating on my notes. Anyway, let's get into today's stories. Salem has decided to join us. Salem, do you want to say anything to the people? Say something. Say it. Say it. He's 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 shy. He's a little shy boy. Um, anyway, what are we doing? Story time. That's what we're doing. Uh the first story here, uh going way back in history, uh with uh Trung Track and Trung Ni. I don't know, man. Vietnamese names. I I don't know. It's N-H-I. How do you say that? Nhai? 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 I don't know. Trung Trak and Trung Nhai uh, were born to a military family in a small village in Vietnam shortly after the start of the first century. All right. So this is during a period uh, in Vietnam's history before the Vietnam War. And that's really important because I feel like no one thinks about Vietnam before the Vietnam War actually happened, but it was a place has a very rich history, very proud people. Um, while the Romans, they were dealing with the Romans, you guys. No, they weren't. Um, while the Romans were busy taking over the Mediterranean, crucifying Jesus, the Trung sisters were training in the martial arts. So this happened um, in like the first century, like 39 AD or CE or whatever you want to do. Um, so this is like a few years after Jesus's death, the, the Christian movement is blossoming in Jerusalem and Rome and, and all around the Mediterranean. Meanwhile, while we don't think about this, we, we, I I mean, for me, at least it was always hard to visualize other things going on in other parts of the world, at least how I was taught history. All right. Look, I went to a very Christian school. I was taught a very Christian centric 
uh, timeline of history. So like everything was always really focused on the, you know, the Middle East and the Mediterranean. And that was basically like the center, center of the center of the world. And maybe like culturally it was the center of the world, but there were still so many things going on. So many things like the Roman empire is doing all kinds of stuff all over. You have, you know, Vietnam and, and Chinese and Japanese culture doing a lot of stuff. There were other European tribes who were going around, especially up in Scandinavia and the British Isles and, and all of that. And all, there were so many things going on that we just don't, I personally just, it's hard for me to think about those things because I was indoctrinated with this idea that the only important things going on in history were centered around the Middle East and, and the Mediterranean. But uh, these Trung sisters, they're living in Vietnam, and they are under strict Japanese rule right now, especially under General uh, Ma Huan. Um, in 39, year 39, uh, Trock's husband got tired of the mistreatment from uh, the Chinese and decided to stand up for himself. And for that, he was immediately killed because the Chinese, they just don't, they don't screw around. And rather than to submit to Chinese assimilation that was taking over the region, uh, Track decided to take her husband's place and kind of continue growing this rebellion that he had started. So the next year, Track and her sister, uh, Nyai, I'm sure, uh, chased a small Chinese military unit from their village and ultimately ended up amassing uh, an army of 80,000 super angry Vietnamese women. All right. Now, what I'm about to say is not racist. I'm just going to go ahead and preface that. All right. But it has been my experience being around Vietnamese people. All right. There was a Vietnamese family who owned a restaurant in Goldsboro. I think they were Vietnamese. Pretty sure they were Vietnamese. And just how they spoke to each other, their language just sounds angry. It does. I, I, they're not, they were the nicest people. And I love that restaurant. All right. If you're ever in Goldsboro, go to Roselli's best wings. They have other good food too, I think, but they just always sounded, it was always yelling and it just sounded angry. And so that's what I imagine when I see that they amassed an army of 80,000 women. They're just yelling and just, I'm not going to do the accent and make noises because I don't know Vietnamese words. And I feel like that would cross the line to being racist, but, um, yeah. And, and tracks army, they ended up driving the Chinese out of the country and track was declared queen of this newly liberated region. And the Chinese were just like trying to figure out what had happened. Like they had just gotten run over by a bunch of angry Vietnamese women. And so three years later, uh, General Yuan uh, gathered an army of 10,000 men and marched back into Vietnam to retake everything. So you got 10,000 men against probably 80,000 women. And during one battle, this is a name. Like, guys, there's upside down letters in this name, I think. Or is that a smudge on my monitor? No, it's an upside down letter. I don't. It's an I with a dot on the top and the bottom. How am I supposed to pronounce this? I'm going to just, I'm going to do it phonetically. Fung T Chin. Fung T Chin. I've got to do the accent. I've got to do the accent to say it right. So, okay. I'm sorry. It's just how I got to do it. So during this battle, Fung T Chin, uh, 
a captain of the uh, the Vietnamese woman army. She literally gave birth in the middle of the battlefield. Like you're fighting ruthless Chinese soldiers, and then you're just like, "Hang on, guys, let me let me just take a break real quick." <laughs> Plop, baby, and then she rather than just walk off and start being a mother as she was perfectly in her rights to do. She just tossed this newborn over her shoulder, probably umbilical cords still attached, and just kept fighting the Chinese. That's insane. All right? But, unfortunately, the Chinese eventually overpowered her, and uh, she ended up killing herself and her newborn in order to avoid capture. So, sad, sad ending. Crazy start, though. Pretty admirable. It's pretty hardcore. Um, and despite being outnumbered like eight to one, the Chinese did eventually defeat the Trung army, uh, after showing up to the battle naked, which flustered all of these Vietnamese women, which that that's, that's gotta be a weird sight. What is going on? All right. You have 10,000 naked Chinese dudes on one side. On another side, you just have women in various states of being. One of them's given birth right there in the middle of the battlefield. God knows how many, I mean, among 80,000, probably multiple, all right, other situations going on. And somehow just the sight of 10,000 droopy Chinese wieners have gotten these women flustered and they can't concentrate on the war and they eventually get defeated. Um, The... Most accounts kind of vary on the details of how the battle ended, but most uh, scholars agree that General Yuan captured the Trung sisters himself, uh, decapitated them, and then sent their heads back to the regional capital. So, um, not a not a happy ending for the Trung sisters, but but God, love the fight in them. It was, it's just fun fun story there. Um, next story is the uh, story of Princess Olga of Kiev. Uh, fun fact: I have I think so. Like I retraced my family lineage during the COVID lockdown. And I was actually able to get back to here and just on some crazy branch of my family tree, I was related to uh, one of Olga's, I think it was one of her siblings. So like Olga would have been like a great times infinity aunt of mine so that's just fun fun little history there um not that you care um but princess olga was the wife of igor the first who was the ruler of kind of this loose federation of east slavic tribes in what is modern day ukraine uh known then as the kievan rus uh igor like many europeans at the time he had a bunch of enemies he was always fighting somebody and one such enemy was the Drevlians, which was um, a group of Slavs who vehemently opposed the Kievan Rus for some reason and was just constantly making attempts to overthrow uh, their federation. In 945, uh, the Drevlians ended up killing Igor, which then put Princess Olga in charge of the federation until their son, Svetatoslav, uh, Svetatoslav, yeah, there we go, um, until he reached adulthood and can become the proper king. Well, of course, uh, obviously, so this was at a time where women rulers, they weren't really taken seriously uh, because they're weak and men, they need a man. Anyway, and so the Drevlians figured it was going to be pretty easy to like unite the, the rest of the Federation and extend their own rule. But Olga, not on board with this plan at all. And so 
Uh, it started when the Drevlians sent about 20 of their best soldiers to the palace to convince Olga to marry uh, Prince Maul and, uh, of the Drevlians. And this marriage would make Maul the ruler of the Kievan Rus and make the Drevlians even more powerful in the region. And, but rather than just go quietly back to the Drevlian village, Olga just had all of those soldiers buried alive. Like she ordered her men to come in, capture them, and then they were just buried alive, which is, that's, that's a statement, all right? She then sent word to Prince Maul himself and told him that uh, she would then accept his proposal, but required that the Drevlians send their most distinguished officers to accompany her on her journey back to his palace. So Prince Maul, he's, you know, full mast, going to get married and make a baby probably to show that the kingdoms have been united because that's what people did back then. And so the Drevlians, like he sent his best men, like she asked. And so the Drevlians arrived a few days later with a cavalcade of government officials. Olga generously greeted them, invited them to go over to the, to her palace's nicest bathhouse to clean up after their long journey. And as soon as all of them were inside the bathhouse, Olga locked the doors and set the building on fire. (laughs) So like, it's 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 cartoonishly preposterous and absurd. Like it's a bad Tom and Jerry cartoon. It's just Princess Olga just keeps inviting these dudes over and then cartoonishly kills them. So um somehow then Olga sent word back to Prince Maul that she wanted to have one last great feast to mourn Igor's death before she moved on with, you know, uniting the new kingdoms. And the Drevlians and Prince Maul, who were just clearly smitten by whatever Olga had going on. She must have been just a hot piece of Ukrainian tail. I don't know. Um, so <laughs> Maul and the Drevlians sent a huge army to Olga's palace for the feast. And that night, uh, Olga proceeded to get the Drevlian army completely drunk, completely wasted. And as the party gathered at Igor's grave to make one last salute, uh, Olga's soldiers leapt from the darkness and began hacking away at the drunken Drevlians. And by the end of the night, 5,000 more (laughs) Drevlian soldiers had been killed. Uh, Olga then returned to Kiev and prepared for another attack because she figured like the Drevlians were really going to like they were really tired of getting killed and they were going to come back full force. But the Drevlins, who were completely scared out of their minds at this point, as they should be, begged for forgiveness and attempted to actually bribe Olga with honey and furs. Because, you know, it's 945. That's what you do back then. Uh, in response, Olga asked the Drevlins for three pigeons and three sparrows from each house in the Drevlian village. And the Drevlins, figuring that was a really sensible request, figuring that she's not asking for any more of them to come and probably be murdered. They were like, all right, we can get you the birds. So when Olga had received all of her birds, she gave one to each soldier of hers and instructed them to tie a piece of sulfur and cloth to the bird's legs. This is insane. That night, Olga ordered the soldiers to light the cloth on fire and release the birds, which then flew back to their homes at the Drevlian village. And within minutes, the entire Drevlian village was consumed in flames. Um, most of them died. Those that did survive the attack were captured and given away to other federations as slaves. Um, it's just crazy. Um, a short time after the Drevlian attack, Olga converted to Christianity. She got baptized. Uh, she changed her name to Yelena and was proclaimed a saint for her efforts to then spread Christianity throughout Ukraine, um, which is mostly what 
she's kind of now known for. Like she got um, canonized. I think it's called canonization when you're made a saint. But yeah, she was made a saint because she, uh, you know, did a lot of work to make Ukraine a, a Christian nation. Completely overlooking the fact that she was a very creative mass murderer. But super cool nonetheless. Um, next story here, kind of getting closer to modern times. Um, on the morning of Saturday, July 28th, 1945, a B-25 Mitchell bomber flew into the Empire State Building in New York City. Now, I know what you're thinking. 1945, that's World War II. Uh, I don't remember any terrorist attacks or any sort of attacks by the Germans or the Japanese, you know, hijacking a plane and crashing it into the Empire State Building. Why isn't that bigger news? Uh, well, it's because uh, it wasn't like a terrorist attack or, or an act of war. Uh, it was just William Franklin Smith Jr. who was on a routine transport mission uh, from Bedford Army Airfield in Massachusetts to the Newark Airport. But upon his descent, Smith asked for clearance but was told there was zero dis- visibility to do so. And Smith, who didn't really want to let a little bit of fog come between him and completing his mission, just continued to descend anyway, which let just led him straight into the Empire State Building. So probably not the best move on his part. But Mitchell, uh, he flew into the Empire, the north side of the Empire State Building uh, at 9.40 a.m. between the 78th and the 80th floor floors and uh smith was actually flying so fast that one of the plane's engines blasted its way through the entire building shooting out the other side and landing on the roof of a building over on the next block which then ignited a fire and destroyed a penthouse art studio uh the other engine and what was left of the landing gear and the rest of the plane uh, fell down one of the elevator shafts and started a fire now if you are not you know you're not sure what a b-25 is that's a big plane all right, that's like one of the, that's a, this is a, is a big boy. It's a bomber, you know? It wasn't like one of these little single-engine prop planes. Like, this was uh, a forerunner to the B-1 bombers, which were like massive jets who did the same thing. So, this is a giant plane. Um, Smith and two others on the plane were obviously killed. They did not survive. Uh, Eleven others in the building at the time also died. But... One of those people who did not die was a woman named Betty Lou Oliver, even though God made every attempt possible to kill this poor woman. All right. Oliver was an elevator attendant when those jobs still existed. uh, And she had been injured in the initial explosion when she was thrown from her normal elevator by the shock of the blast and severely burned in the explosion. Uh, Rescuers who got into the building moved her back into her elevator to take her down to a waiting ambulance on the street. But guess what happened, you guys? Uh, Unbeknownst to them, the cables on that elevator, because this was a time when you just assumed like elevators still kept working and you didn't just resort to the stairs. uh, The cables on that elevator had been severely weakened from the blast and and the rescue party's descent quickly turned into like a ride on like the Tower of Terror. You know, the Disney ride. Um, soon after the elevator began descending to the ground floor, the cable snapped at the 75th floor and the elevator just dropped 75 stories went past the ground floor and came to a halt after slamming into the basement. Despite that, Betty Lou survived. I don't know how, but it earned her a place in the Guinness book of world records for surviving the longest elevator fall because those are the records that matter. Um, despite the damage, 
Uh, the Empire State Building obviously resumed business as usual the following Monday. Uh, the crash also sped up the passage of the Federal Tort Claims Act of 1946, which allowed people to sue the government for various things. Uh, Oliver didn't really care about that. She returned to work five months later and worked in the same exact elevator that she had nearly died in because people used to be really awesome like that. Like, yeah, she probably had PTSD, but she just got over it. All right. Like, I'm all for mental health. I'm a huge mental health advocate. But sometimes you just got to get over it and just get back to work. All right. Betty Lou got into an elevator. The same exact, probably not the same exact elevator, but the same elevator shaft where the cables had snapped and she'd fallen 75 feet. 75 stories. That's way more than 75 feet. 75 stories. And she just got back in there and was like, what floor can I take you to? 95th okay here we go hope the elevator doesn't crash again let me tell you about that story i don't know people i hate when people talk like that but that's how people used to talk i would have oh god that would have been driving me nuts anyway but that's betty's story um (laughs) our final story here uh is of sisters carol gilbert jackie hudson and ardith platt who were retired nuns from michigan who really needed to take up a new hobby after their church service, their their work in the church had, had ended. But rather than start knitting or baking or doing whatever else like retired old ladies do, uh, the three sisters decided to become anti-nuclear activists. Sure. Um, Jackie Hudson decided to lead the group and began her protests in 1983 uh, after Michigan had begun storing nuclear cruise missiles in shockingly accessible places. Um, in 1990, she was arrested for breaking into Wirt Smith Air Force Base and writing Christ Lives Disarm on the side of a bunker. Uh, she was sentenced to six months in prison for that, and that was kind of enough to set her straight for like a full decade. Um, But in 2000, the same three sisters walked onto Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado and then sprinkled their own blood on a fighter plane. Sure. Um, They were all quickly caught for that and held in a federal prison, but charges were dropped when military officials realized they hadn't actually damaged the plane. They had just kind of made it gross. Uh, Two years later, in 2002... Uh, the sisters used a pair of bolt cutters to break through a fence that separated um, Minuteman three missile silos from the outside world because I guess the government just didn't find it necessary to make access to their nuclear weapons very difficult. Like, this is 2002. This is post 9-11, and the only thing separating the general public from nuclear missiles is just a pair of bolt cutters. Good job, government. Um, the women, who were also wearing hazmat suits labeled Citizen Weapon Expansion Team, which is funny, or Inspection Team, I think I said ex- Expansion, but Citizen Weapon Inspection Team, uh, which was definitely not a real organization, they just walked right up to the fence uh, where the mis- missile was being kept and just walked right in. Uh, they then hobbled over to the missiles because they're old ladies. And, you know, and these missiles, by the way, believed to be 20 times more powerful than the atomic bombs. And all that, all that we're using to protect it is just bolt cutters, just a chain. That's, I mean, like President Bush is adorable, but some of these things I can't, I can't excuse like really adorable, cute old man. Ooh, man. Some of the holes and gaps in security that he let slip through and his administration let slip through, um, but they, these three nuns, they, they got up to this missile 
and they started banging on it with hammers and drawing crosses on it with their own blood. So now they're smearing their blood, drawing crosses on it, but then they're also banging nuclear weapons with hammers. And like, I'm sure those weapons are sophisticated enough that they wouldn't detonate, but why take that chance? I don't know. Um, But they were easily found and arrested for that. Um, At the trial, the sisters refused to speak and only communicated by nodding their heads. Uh, They were sentenced to a maximum of 41 months in prison, and then they were placed on Maryland's terrorist watch list for some reason. Um, Although Gilbert and Platt decided uh, they had done enough, uh, you know, activism, uh, Sister Jackie, she continued on. So in 2010, after she'd gotten out of prison, she and 13 others broke into the Y-12 National Security Complex in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Like, how bad is this country? Obama, what are you doing? How bad is this country's security where old ladies can just break in on, like, four separate occasions? Like, our security, our security should be the most advanced thing on the planet broken through by an old lady typically the most technology inept group social group in 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 our country right like toddlers understand technology better than old ladies on average i think um but still jackie sister jackie here she's broken into four different supposedly high level security places. Um, and so she broke into, uh, this complex in Oak Ridge, Tennessee and sprayed more blood on the side of the highly enriched uranium materials faculty or facility building. So she could just walk up to uranium storage, start squirting her blood everywhere. Uh, Jackie was never formally convicted for that because her health began to decline while she was being held in federal prison on those charges. Uh, and then she ended up dying a year later from multiple myeloma, uh, probably because she was exposed to all of those nuclear weapons. So there you go. I mean, I think most of these women, if not all of these women ended up dying in their stories. I mean, Betty Lou Oliver obviously ended up dying, but, um, you know, Princess Olga ended up dying, but uh, they ended up living a pretty peaceful life. But um, yeah, just you know, crazy stories from very courageous and maybe crazy stories, uh, crazy women throughout history. I have been stumbling over my words a lot more than normal. Um, I don't know why. I made some pickles earlier, uh, went and tried to, to make a spicy version. And so I got a lot of like pepper... Uh, chemicals not chemicals but like you know i i breathed in basically the equivalent of a lot of pepper spray and so i think it screwed with my head a little bit i was coughing a lot but now i'm just very distracted because i'm kind of curious as to how these pickles are going to turn out stay tuned for next week's episode when i might update it probably not i'll forget um (laughs) anyway let's see what we learned What did we learn? Number one, uh, things were happening in other parts of the world during the time of Jesus. Namely, uh, naked dudes 
baffling women who were then giving birth on the battlefield and just tossing a baby over their shoulder while they continued fighting. It's insane to me. Uh, Number two, Betty Lou Oliver. She survived a plane crashing into a building, and then she survived an elevator dropping 75 stories. I don't know how that's possible, but it happened. Uh, And number three, apparently, like, our maximum security sites where we store nuclear weapons, not that secure, you guys. Um, If an old lady can manage to break into four different spots, I'm very concerned about uh, the security of... Uh, are are very dangerous materials. Next week on Our Weird World, I proved to you that this uh, setup was on the calendar before I realized it was uh, Women's History Month uh, because we're going in the opposite direction. We are going to look at some awful women from history. Uh, We're going to look at the stories of Messalina, Locusta, uh, Elizabeth Bathory, and Delphine Lollerie. Um, Not as inspiring uh, of stories next week. We get back into our dark tales um, and just sad, gross, extreme, lots of death. You know, you get it. That's why you're here. So uh, anyway, hope you enjoyed that. uh, And thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for being here after last week's episode. Uh, I know that got pretty weird, but, uh, glad you're here. Looks, I think, uh, year three, season three got off to a solid start and, uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Tell all your friends and keep it weird.